0: Our scripture today comes from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I'll read this for us. Let's give our attention and reverence, for this is the reading of God's word. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the reading of God's Word. Would you now give your attention to the preaching of God's Word? All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's always my pleasure to bring you God's Word. And although I wish we could have met more in person, I'm so thankful for technology and the fact that we can still meet and worship God together wherever we are. Today, I want to talk to you about prayers. We start the new year. Often, people say, Happy New Year. I want to say to you this morning as a greeting, prayerful new year. I hope that we have a year full of joyful and delightful prayer. I got this title, From Duty to Delight, from a book written by J.I. Packer and Carolyn Nystrom, entitled, Praying, Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight. In it, in the intro, They say something very beautiful and true, and it says this, Praying is the essence of Christian existence, and it involves belief, emotions, values, hopes, and fears, certainties and uncertainties, knowledge, and ignorance. All of us are inclined to kid ourselves that knowing about something is as good as doing it, not so. You know, a lot of us have heard so many, maybe, messages of prayer, We've read passages that have been about prayers of the saints, and maybe you've been involved in so many different prayer events. But I hope that we also understand that prayer sometimes feels like a Christian duty, that we do it because we think we ought to, we should, I have to. But prayer shouldn't be just a duty or things that we do as Christians, but it should be a delight. I think one of the challenges for me as I thought about this is the fact that I grew up in a Korean-American church where I, I literally attended morning prayer, evening prayer, overnight prayer, prayer retreats, prayer mountains, literally in a cave sometimes. And I felt so inundated with prayer, I felt it was over the top. And so as a kind of a re- rebellious second generationer, I, I thought, man, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to be even shorter. I'm going to be concise. And I don't need all those things. And somewhere along the way, I think I kind of maybe perhaps discounted the significance of prayer in my life. But prayer is foundational to our relationship with God. Anyone in a marriage or relationship, in any relationship, you know how important it is to spend time with someone and how communication is vital to that relationship. In fact, prayer is how we began our faith journey. We began with the prayer as we received Christ into our hearts. And as we heard the gospel of truth about our sin, Christ's redemption, and the hope that we have in him, that that the first thing that we did in response to that message was prayer. I know that we all wish we could pray more. And you know, one of the questions that always comes to me—not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, as a father, as a husband—is why don't we pray more? It's not like anyone is holding us back. The answer to this is so much more than what a Sunday sermon can bring. But today, I want to try to chip away at it as we look at two significant verses from a beautiful prayer in Psalm 139. The context here is that David is writing to, uh, singing about, and singing to a sovereign God who searches him and knows him. And this entire psalm, a prayer, it ends with David making a request, a plea for God to search him and know him, to see if there's any grievous way, offensive way in him, and that ultimately his request is that God would lead him in the way everlasting. And so we're left with the question, the question of how do we move from feelings of duty and obligation to an experience of joy and delight. I want to suggest three thoughts that I think come from this text. One is that prayer is a delight in knowing the God of prayer. Secondly, prayer is a delight when God's will becomes my will. And thirdly, prayer is a delight when we see life from the perspective of eternity. First of all, prayer is a delight in knowing the God of prayer. In verse 23, it begins with, search me, O God, and know me. He's talking to a God who knows him far better than he can ever imagine. In fact, verse 1 of this same psalm begins with the words, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. David knew this. David knew that God already had searched him and known him. But now at the end of this psalm and prayer, he's asking God to do it again, to search him and know him. And I think something in this is this longing and understanding to be seen and known as God is becoming aware more and more to his own soul. How amazing it is to know that before we ever knew of God, that God knew us. In verse 16 of this psalm, David writes, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days were, uh, that were formed for me, even yet, uh, when as yet there was none of them. David knew that even before he was born, while he was still being woven in his mother's womb, he says, your eyes saw me. My days were written before one of them ever came to be. Upon salvation, we are privileged to be known by God, that we are so fully known that prayer becomes a gift. It becomes a gift of intimate fellowship with this God. We now have access and audience with God Almighty. And so it's this idea of coming to know the God of prayer. Edmund Clowney, an author and former professor of Westminster Seminary, he writes... The Bible does not present an art of prayer. It presents the God of prayer. We should not decide how to pray based on the experience and feelings we want. We should do everything possible to behold our God as he is, and prayer will follow. The more clearly we grasp who God is, the more power, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. Knowing whom, to whom we are praying is foundational to make prayer all that God intended. Prayer is responding to a God who spoke first. Ever since the book of Genesis, we know that God spoke creation into being. Throughout the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. In the New Testament, God spoke through his very own son. And later on in the New Testament writings, we see that he speaks through the apostles. And what we find is that through his word, through the prophets, through the apostles, even through Christ, his own son, the God is a continually speaking God. He's been speaking from the beginning. He continues to speak throughout history, and he will speak into eternity the truth that we call his word. And yet for many of us, if you've ever struggled with prayer, if you've ever been in a room by yourself and you're praying, or you've been in a car by yourself and you're praying, Sometimes you wonder if the prayer ever left that room, that car, that particular place you were. And a lot of times I I remember sitting there and I remember thinking, "God, do you hear me?" And maybe even wondering, "God, where are you?" What prayer is not is is not a monologue. It was never meant to be. It was meant to be a deep and meaningful encounter with the living God where we come to understand not only is he creator, but now he has become my redeemer. And for many of us, the challenge of prayer is that God sometimes is a difficult person to understand. In fact, he's God. Our minds, there's no way our mind can fully fathom him, but yet only as we understand him, as he reveals himself through scripture. And so we we in prayer continue to learn. And grow an understanding of who God is as we also interact with the very word of God that He speaks to us in. You know, knowing coming to know a person and knowing and thinking you know about a person is very different. I want to illustrate as I speak about my marriage. I've been married almost 22 years now to my wife, Jennifer. When I first met her, I got to know her name. I got to know things that she liked, the food she eats, the music she listens to, the school she went to, and a little bit about her history as she shared with me her life story. But then as, I, as, I, as we got married, there were times when I just didn't understand her, when she was trying to articulate things to me about how she was feeling, what she was longing for. And when she got frustrated, she would say, oh, I just wish you could read my mind. And I'm, thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, hello, um, I can't do that. And what she was longing for was a connection of understanding that I could understand what she's feeling or thinking even without the words. Well, obviously, humanly, that's impossible. And yet, 22 years later, there are times and situations now because of constant interaction, communication, listening to her, now understanding things that actually are her fears, anxieties, concerns, joys, and worries, that through the years of communication, talking, and listening, that I think I can guess about 80% accuracy what she might be thinking and feeling. I share this because prayer in that sense, when it comes together with the truth of God's word, becomes that type of communication where I listen to God through his word and I speak to him in response in prayer. We come to know a person more by spending time with that person and interacting with that person daily. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller, in his book, Prayer, uh, he asks the question, what is prayer then in the fullest sense? And he writes, prayer is a continuing, uh, is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. What does a full encounter with God look like? It means prayer and scripture. Not just as separate disciplines, but the practice of reading God's word and responding in prayer at the same time. It's when we read the word, And we let the word really minister and speak to us. And then we respond to that word in prayer. And then that opens up a floodgate of all the different thoughts and feelings and emotions and situations. But it's in light of who God is and how he speaks. And and the fact that I'm responding to the God of scripture and not just the God of my imagination. It also could be a time when you start in prayer. And then you're led back to a truth that you're reminded of. You go back and read the text and you remember what God has said, which offers you hope and maybe even a glimmer of understanding. When David asks God to search him and know him, to try him or to test him, and then he asks him to lead in the way everlasting, how how would God do that? How would God search him, know him, test him, see him, And then lead him. I want to suggest to you, he does so as David remembers who God is in His Word. In verse seventeen of this same Psalm, David says, "How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them." David remembers the Scriptures that he read about God, and in Psalm one nineteen. 105. He also says, and this is a a passage maybe you're familiar with, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That if we ever seek guidance from God or God's leading, I really do believe it comes as we are in the presence of God listening through his word. It is through his word that God will guide us and give us the direction that we're often looking for. And although we may be asking for a decision about which job to take or a person that we might be interested in pursuing or marrying or maybe a college application or maybe even just the decisions of everyday life, maybe challenges that you're facing at work or school. Whatever it is, that it is through his word that we begin to understand his heart more. And it's not that you're going to get a specific answer, perhaps, but that there is a clarity of certain things of right and wrong, true and not true. And that as you pray and make your requests, that a peace comes and understanding that the God you speak to is a God who loves you and who will not leave you and who promises will be your good shepherd to guide you. Yes, prayer can be a short sentence. Lord, help. Sometimes prayer is an expression of love to others. May I pray for you? And by the way, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say no to that request. Prayer can also be a time of cleansing and restoration. There are times when sometimes we cry out to God in anger Lord, I'm so angry. Lord, you make no sense. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. Lord, I feel so hurt. But when we finish with those moments, where do we find strength? Where do we find hope or forgiveness or healing and comfort? One option is we're left to our own thoughts. And when we're sitting there in the vastness of our feelings and emotions and situation, we often feel lost. And so whatever fills that void, sometimes doubt or fear, that's what perhaps governs our day. Another option is to maybe read some cliches or quotes from others, right or wrong, biblical or not. We hear certain phrases and then we're like, oh, I like that. Another option could be that there could there's God's word. And when you go to God's word, that those yearnings of the heart, the things that come to us in times of prayer are met with the truth of scripture. But what happens in a culture where even perhaps more more often these days, that people miss worship and don't get a chance to hear the truth and exhortation that is proclaimed on a Sunday worship. Or maybe people are too busy to spend time in God's Word daily so that a lot of things are said to God, but not much is remembered or thought or heard. And people are often used to reading quotes or even listening to sound bites or podcasts or maybe even listening to other people's Writings on their meditation of God's Word instead of understanding and learning how to find those truths and come to those conclusions on our own. We sometimes become overly dependent on other people rather than simply learning to find the beauty and the peace of God as we meet with Him. I think today part of the reason we're not as prayerful as we should be is because we live in a culture That seeks so much independence. And sometimes we don't come to the source of our greatest comfort, which is God and his truth. And prayer is to rely on this God who spoke first. And our soul's greatest joy and delight is when we come to know him more as we are fully known and as we read and understand him through his word. And so prayer is a delight in knowing the God of prayer secondly prayer is a delight when God's will becomes my will In this psalm as uh, in verse 23 in the second part he says try me and know my thoughts lead me in the way of everlasting What David is asking of God is please change me The God will find and look and it's not that God doesn't know that he has to search but that God already knows. And perhaps what David is asking is, help me to know what you know. And often as we make our requests and enter into times of prayer, our expectation is that we expect God to change. We expect God to somehow do something that may be different from maybe what he was already doing or we don't know what God is doing. But I want you to understand that in prayer, The person that's changing is definitely not God. Because the scripture tells us very clearly, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The person that's changing is us. It's me when I'm in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed urgently. He prayed with such fervency and request that the scripture says that his sweat were like drops of blood. And his, and his request was simple. Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. This cup. This cup of wrath and judgment that he was about to drink on the cross. And the father's response was no. There's no other way. This is it. And so Jesus prays, for example, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42. Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I really do believe that this is a wonderful pattern of prayer that should be our heart and our pattern as we pray. We can make our requests. It's very clear that the scripture tells us. In fact, in Philippians 4, it says, to make your requests made known to him. And let the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts. As we make our requests, though, it's important to understand that what we want is the very best and not just what I ask. You see, what I ask, I ask in my limited understanding, my limited perspective, and simply from my own sometimes heart's desire that may not always have the best intentions or motives. And so when we pray... Your will be done, not mine. What we're asking is for God's very best. Not for what seems good at the moment, but what is best from the bigger picture. You know, I have two teenagers at home. And trying to discover and establish their own ability as growing into adulthood, there's rough days of yelling and arguing and tension and moments of defiance where they have the audacity to say no to mom and dad, like as if there was even an option. But after these moments of intense emotions that flared up, there have been times also where I have to sit down with my son and daughter and remind them that these moments of confrontation, these moments where we were so host- so angry and even hostile toward each other, that they are filled and, found- and founded in the place of love. That what I'm pursuing for them is not hatred. It's not their worst. It's their best. Something they can't quite see yet or fully understand. And if I, as, as a sinful man, can long for that, how much even more so does our Heavenly Father want what's best for you and for me? So praying not just my will, but His will be done. In fact, wanting His will is wanting Heaven's best. I think that's not only wise, it's it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful expression of trust and love for God. And so the change then is in me, what God wants, that I want. And understanding that this is a, a longing for the best gift, not just a good gift. Not just something that I see as good. But I want what God thinks is good, what God sees. When God knows all things, he can know what's happening tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen 10 years from now. And I want him to lead me and my family and this church in his will, according to his will, in his way. But the rub here is that if I can be honest, and if we're honest, there are times when I don't know if I want what he wants. There are times when I want something so bad that I demand it. And I want you to imagine, for many of you who are parents, when your kids demand things of you, how difficult is that to hear? And a lot of times this rub happens because what oftentimes what God may want, and I think if you've been a Christian for a while, you've experienced this, it may not be fun. Sometimes it's painful that the journey he takes us on is not the easy road but the more difficult one. And so sometimes we're afraid not only is it not fun and painful but it's also difficult and challenging and there's hurdles to overcome and mountains to come over and, and it's so difficult. And I want us to understand that following Jesus Christ as his disciples was never meant to be easy or comfortable. The Christ-likeness and the journey of sanctification is always going to be a refining fire that we walk through. But God's love and desire for us is never evil. It's always good. But one last thing that I think is the rub that sometimes we don't want God's will is because it just takes so darn long. Like, God, what's taking you so long? There are prayer requests that maybe you've made for years. And you're wondering, will God ever answer them? I was reminded of a a man who prayed for four friends that they would come to know Christ. And in his life, he never saw one of them come to Christ. And yet at his funeral, one of his friends who discovered a journal that his friend was writing throughout his life, came up and read something of a prayer that all four of his friends might come to know Jesus Christ. The the beauty of that story and the tragedy of that story is that that man never saw it during his day, but it happened after he went to be with the Lord. It takes so long sometimes for God to answer our prayers. And sometimes it's so hard to wait. And what David is saying here in this psalm When he asks God to test me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. There are things that we can't know about our own hearts and our own intentions. And yet God knows every one of them. And David says, God, go ahead, turn every stone. Go ahead and look deep. I'm not, there's nothing to hide. And that's one thing that's so beautiful about this God who knows all things and yet still loves us. The reason why I think I could come to God so freely and so frequently is because I'm so fully known. he, He knows every dirt and crevice corner about my life and yet he still loves me. And so David invites God to change him. And what's at battle every day when I, try to pray, your, not my will, but your will be done, is a desire for me to play God of my own life. That I want my will to be done. And I want God to be my servant. But we know that's not the case. The posture of my heart should be one of humility, with right expectations, that God has established in His truth. That He has said that His, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and His ways are higher than our ways. And that there are things that we ought to remember that God sees and knows so much better. And so there comes, Linda, the rub of trust, of understanding the very God that we call our Savior and our Redeemer. I want us to also understand very clearly, for a bit of clarity, that whatever changes that are occurring is not by my power, it's by the power of God's Holy Spirit that God's Spirit uses in times of prayer and reading of scripture, that it convicts my heart, and that he leads to transformation through the guidance of his truth on a daily basis. And so I have a question for you, dear Christian. When you pray, do you trust that what God is doing is absolutely the best for you? Or do you wonder sometimes if God loves you? Or if God's really looking out for your best interest, because if you walk away from prayer with without that assurance, then prayer then becomes your desire and effort to persuade God to do your will. Or it might leave you with the anxiety that God might do something that you don't want, and and maybe that's why sometimes we find it hard to come to prayer uh, time to co- uh, to come to times of prayer because. We're so afraid that God's just going to do whatever he wants anyway. And so he's not going to do what I want, so why pray? The gospel reminds us to go back and remember that one God is trustworthy. The God who took all of eternity and then looked into the moment of history and time and chose exactly the right time, at exactly the right moment, to the right person, to the right period in human history, to be able to send his son and allow his son to die a criminal's death and yet being fully innocent. And he also is the God who sent his own son to die for you and I so that we would have eternal life. And so that as we look at the cross... The cross is a great message of irony, of perplexity. That what looked like such a great loss turned out to be such a great win. And if this God could care for us for our eternal destiny, how much more will he continue to care for us on a daily basis? In Tim Keller's book, on Prayer... One of the su- one of the subsections was entitled the supremacy of prayer, and in it he talks about a a approach of what God what happens in prayer, what God does, and he talks a, a, a bit about Ephesians one seventeen, where he writes, I keep where Paul says I keep asking that you may know him better. And he writes, it is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayer for his friends contained no appeals for change in their circumstances. And what's interesting is that this this whole point of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 was that Paul didn't ask for for Christians to be set free from prison, he didn't ask for uh, for persecution to stop or for for uh, sick people to be healed. In those sense, it's not that those things were wrong, or perhaps he never did pray them. But the one thing that he wrote in this letter to the Ephesian church was that he said, "I keep asking that you may know him better." And the reason why he says, therefore, knowing God better, uh, is what we must have above all. If we are to face life in any circumstances. If God were to change a circumstance, sure, that might feel good for the moment. But the truest gift in prayer is to understand that what God is doing and who God is gives us a greater comfort and peace no matter what the circumstance, whether he chooses to change it or not. And so the deepest sense of change in us is not when God changes the circumstances But when God changes us as we come to know him better. So that his will is done according to his his glorious plan and for his namesake. And that his will no longer becomes this daunting thing. This big question mark. But now that question mark is filled with the very person of who God is. Knowing him more and understanding who he is. So that when he does his will, it's not so much a struggle But a delight. And so prayer is a delight in knowing the God of prayer. As well as uh, it becomes a delight when God's will becomes my will. But thirdly, prayer is a delight when we see life from the perspective of eternity. At the end of verse 24, David's final request is lead me in the way everlasting. You know... Expectations in prayer are often seen in the context of where we expect the best life to happen. Do you expect in prayer, as you make your requests and as you pray and when you think about God, do you want God to make this life on earth the best life experience? Or is the best life experience something that is yet to come? Some of us pray expecting God to create heaven on earth where circumstances, relationships, disease, struggles with sin, injustices, and all kinds of imperfections are made better to our liking now here ASAP. There's nothing wrong with praying for a miracle. There's nothing wrong with making our requests. But I want us to remember that there are certain things that just are because we live in a fallen world and that you and I are people still struggling with sin. And so when we pray, for example, things like broken marriages, in the midst of pain and hurting, we want God to fix it right away, right now, do a miracle in our hearts. When our kids, when we think about our kids and their their experiences at school or sports or friends, we want the very best for them. We want no pain, no heartache, no, no uh, cuts, no, no, nothing less than just the best. And of course, every parent longs for that. When loved ones are ill, or maybe even on their deathbed, we find it so grievous that they're not able to live to 80 or 90 And I'm not saying this to diminish anyone's pain. But as Christians, isn't that why faith matters? Isn't that when faith helps? Because when we're faced with these difficulties, what are we expecting in prayer? What are we expecting of God? When the psalmist says, lead me in the way of everlasting, I believe he's asking the Lord to lead him to live with eternity in mind and not to necessarily just want those things that are immediate and maybe even gratifying. A lot of times, I remember uh, my own struggles in prayer and maybe even people sharing with me that one of the struggles in prayer is a wandering mind. Have you ever... I'm sure you, all of you are probably going, sitting in your home going, yes, I know, I remember. Every time we pray, you're, as you start to pray in a certain line of thought, there's something else that intrudes your time of prayer, and they're wandering thoughts. And a lot of times my response to that was, oh, okay, focus. And then just trying to pray in that line of thought before. But that, that wandering thought keeps pervading my time of prayer. And in one of the seminars that I took on spiritual formation, the professor said, don't ignore that. Follow that. Follow your thought that leads you into distractions and see where your thoughts are going. Why do you keep having those thoughts? The professor who gave the seminar said he discovered that his daughters kept coming to mind. And as he followed the rabbit trail of this distracting thoughts, he realized he was constantly worried about his daughters to the point where they were idols to him. And his instruction to us in prayer was perhaps God in his love doesn't want us to ignore those things that grip our hearts because that's where our treasure lies. To be able to see it, to be able to confess it, to be able to acknowledge it, and then set things straight where God becomes our treasure and not my kids, not my work, not my stress. When we look at God and prayer and life with eternity in mind, we're reminded that this life is going to be difficult. But sometimes Jesus did let his disciples suffer and go through hardships. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In Jesus you will have peace. But in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. The hope there is not that this world would have no tribulation or less tribulation. It's that there is a peace in Jesus Christ because there is an end that will be very different. If you're going through hardships right now, if you're frustrated with the coronavirus and and all that we've been going through, if you're sick at home and you tested positive and you're going through the symptoms, I get it. It's so hard. But we are told that life will be hard. That our peace is not found in a tribulation-less world or day. It's finding Jesus with eternity in perspective in those moments. And so the delight is only possible if we can see life from this perspective of his perspective. And so if God doesn't change your life circumstance, does he still love me? Does he still love you? Of course you know the answer is yes. He still loves you. The cross reminds us that defining and believing God's love for us doesn't begin with circumstances, but it begins with us looking back to the cross and remembering that God's definition of love was to show us what it will cost to Bring us closer to him, to have audience with him, and to have eternity with him. And whatever happens in between that period, from now until eternity, that we are called to be patient, to trust, to walk by faith, and to know that our greatest peace is found in the person we pray to, and not the circumstances always. The psalmist here is asking for something that most of us don't don't often ask or invite God to do, Which is to come and search me, know me, try me, and lead me. He makes the acknowledgement that God is sovereign. He remembers. And if I could summarize Psalm 139, he says, You know where I am at all times. You know what I do from morning till night. You know my thoughts before I utter a word. You can protect me because you know everything about me. You lay your hand upon me. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. I can't ever leave your presence. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, if I go to shield, I can't leave your presence. Wherever I am, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. You make the darkness become light. And from my mother's womb, you made me and you knew me. How precious are your thoughts to me. And on and on and on, the psalmist continues to recount who God is, how much he knows, how, much, uh, how amazing he is. And then he invites this amazing God to search him and know him and then lead him. He's submitting. He's asking his will to be done. And therefore, he's also asking to help him live and a path that leads to everlasting. Waiting on the Lord is so hard. Like some of you, I lost my grandmother during the COVID period. Yes, she was 97. And I remember when I I was giving up And leading uh, the funeral and the word of God during that time in remembrance of my grandmother, I remembered in preparation thinking, when my grandmother leaves and my mother goes to be with the Lord, who's gonna pray for me? You know what I realized? I realized, I gotta pray for me, and I gotta be that person of prayer for my kids and for the next generation. My dear brothers and sisters, I know waiting on the Lord is hard. And I was reminded through a song and and through this passage of Psalm 130. In verse 5 it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning. More than watchmen in the morning. Out of the depths I cry to you. Verse 1. I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let my ears be attentive to your voice do you realize that when we cry out to God, that God will hear us because there was a day in human history when a man who had intimate fellowship with his father cried out, my God, my God, and there was silence. You and I most definitely are heard, and God will answer, and Christ will return. Because he did. And what, when he was on the cross, he heard nothing. He was not heard. But thank God that it wasn't just the cross. That three days later, he rose again and assured for us that what he did on that cross was fulfilled. Dear brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to come and draw near to God in a time of prayer. The greatest delight and the greatest gift is to know this God, his will, his truth for now and for eternity. And I hope that that will be our delight. And if you want a practical application of this, Christ Central has a monthly prayer meeting that's going to happen actually this Friday. I invite you to sign up and join together as we pray as a church. Would you join me now in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth, but we also understand that the gift of prayer is made possible because of your spirit and because of your sacrifice. May you help us never to forget that we pray to the God of our prayers. We long for your will to be done, and we ask that you would teach us to live with eternity in mind. We pray this in Jesus' name.